0: You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor, Gare Jones. Amen, amen. Well, this morning is exciting because we are, I just want to say before I start, a massive thank you to everyone who's done so well over the summer. The speakers, the team, they're on summer. I got to go away, but should we just say thank you to Johnny, Cheyenne, Alyssa, the whole team, all the guest preachers. I heard the series was amazing. Um, And so I apologize in advance for what's about to come. A new series. A new series called this, Making Sense of the God of the Old Testament. Making sense of the God of the Old Testament. As you know, I said at the beginning of the year that for many years I struggled with the Old Testament. I got Jesus, I got the New Testament, but I struggled with the Old Testament. I struggled with kind of the creation story. I struggled with um, all those wars and violence and I struggled with how does God of the Old Testament fit with the God of the New Testament in Jesus. I just couldn't put them together. And so throughout this year, we've been looking at the Old Testament every now and again, and we've been looking at the book of Ruth at the start of the year. Do you remember that? We looked then at Genesis one to three, looking at how science and faith are not incompatible, and actually what God is doing there is beautifully meshing with science. But we can't go forward and look at the Old Testament without looking at this question of how does the God of the Old Testament mesh with the God of the New Testament? How do these things go together? It just seems, when you read the Old Testament, you go, "Ah, this seems pretty harsh. This seems unlike Jesus in some ways. And this is important because if you don't have the right view of God, then that distorts everything about your faith in him. But if you feel God is schizophrenic in some ways, like different, like changing, if you feel that Jesus is kind of, seems like a different God, then it will erode your trust in the Bible and ultimately it will erode your trust in Jesus himself. Because Jesus himself says, I am the God of the Old Testament in the flesh. So I had all, all these questions. How could I trust the Bible? How could I worship a God who does this? And we end up, don't we, redefining God in the type of God that we want him to be as opposed to the God of the Bible. Now as I looked into it I realized that actually the God of the Old Testament was absolutely consistent with Jesus. I realized that I was misrepresenting or misunderstanding some of the passages in the Old Testament. Not really understanding fully who Jesus was and had a selective reading of the Old Testament. And the summary of That was, no, Jesus is right. He is the incarnation of the God of the Old Testament. But we're going to look at that together today. We're going to dive into the tough stuff of the Old Testament. I'm a big believer in you follow the truth wherever it may lead. And I found the truth when we ask the hard questions of the Bible. They don't diminish my faith in him, but they deepen my faith in him. And so we're on a series going about four or five weeks, see how much we get through on how, making sense of the God of the Old Testament. Now, I'm gonna ask for your help here because we can't cover everything on a Sunday morning in 30 minutes. And so I'm gonna say, look, I'm gonna cover part of it. And you're gonna go, but what about this? But what about that? And by all means, grab me afterwards and we can talk about it. But I'm also gonna give you some resources that you go, okay, Jay pointed me here. You've got a good question, a tough question, a real question, an authentic question. We honor that. I want to give you some resources. And so here are some resources that I think are essential to accompanying this series. How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball, great pastor up in Santa Cruz at a church called very something similar to ours. And then, but if you're not into reading, then if you'd love to watch, then The Bible Project has got lots of great films and podcasts and Bible studies on making sense of the God of the Old Testament. And then finally, listen, I think one of the best lectures I have ever heard on violence in the Old Testament is by uh, Josh Butler. You may have heard of him. He was a guest speaker at a, a church we're great friends with up in Portland, Bridgetown Church. So you can just go away and Google all of those. You can Google violence in the Old Testament, Josh Butler, Bridgetown Church. Take a picture of that slide if you need to. Um, But I heartily encourage you to dig into those. If you're like me going, I got questions. I got questions. But the sermon series is going to not dive into each of the questions, but actually go a different direction and look at how God describes himself in the Old Testament. How God describes himself. If you want to know who someone is like, well, you ask them. And this is what Moses did in Exodus chapter 34. He said, God, what are you like? Who are you? And God reveals himself in these verses in Exodus chapter 34. And they became the most repeated foundational verses of the whole Old Testament. These two verses became a refrain in the life of the Jewish community. It's almost like it's the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. As one author put it, these verses are the pinned tweet of God's Twitter. (laughs) Write this up. This is who I am. And everything else flows from that. It's verses that Jesus applies to himself that these verses are where we must begin. And we're gonna look at them over the next four or five weeks, how God describes himself. So let's read it together. Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. These are the verses that God himself says, hey, if you want to know what I'm like making sense of the God of of the Old Testament, well, here it is. Now, straight away, if you're like me, I go, ooh, I like that first slide. (laughs) Right? Could we have just stopped there? Didn't look so much like the second slide. Right? And that is our problem with the Old Testament encapsulated in these two verses. It's like, ooh, there's bits I like. I like that grace bit. But I didn't like that second slide. God, could you just not have stopped? What we'll see over the next few weeks, is when we really understand what God is saying, when we actually get beyond the English superficial 21st century interpretation of what that is, we'll realize that the f- not just the first slide is good news, the whole two slides are good news. And that is part of the journey into the Old Testament. It is on the f- surface confronting and challenging. But when we dig into it and understand what an ancient text is saying to us. We go, ah, the whole thing is good news. But we're going to begin this morning with the very beginning of what God says to Moses. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God begins with this strange word Yahweh, which is His name. His name. God has a name. Up until now then, He's only been referred to in the biblical scriptures as the generic word for God, Elohim, God. The same word we would use for God. And yet, God says, look, if you wanna know me, that's kind of like a category name, like human. But we're not just humans, we are individuals with a uniqueness to us. And God says, look, you can put God, attach anything to the word God, but I want you to know, when you say the word God, let me reveal who I really am. And it begins with, I've got a name. I've got a name. Quite a strange name, <laughs> got to say. Yeah, it's so strange, I think literally, he's like me with the word name Geraint. It's like, when I say Geraint once, people go, what? <laughs> so I say it twice and people still say what? I then say Ger, people say, no, no better, what? <laughs> I go Ger. And then actually around Venice, where I live, by the way, if you ever see me and people call me a different name, I've abandoned Ger altogether. <laughs> I'm now Jones, I'm Joe in in my neighborhood. I don't know, it just seemed, I said it one day and it stuck with my friends down there. So anyway, but Yahweh says, I'm Yahweh. And I'm sure Moses would have gone, "Mm, what? Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's a strange name. But it's an important name. It's strange because God just didn't go to the top 100 names of ancient Israel. See, names were not there to sound cool or to sound like they had popularity. Names in those days were not just to distinguish people from people. They were there to define people. And God goes, I've got to pick a name that defines who I am. That's why throughout the Bible, names are a big deal. Jesus even changes people's names. He goes, oh, you're not, you're not Saul. You're Paul. Someone got your name wrong. God describes himself as Yahweh because it means who he is, right? It means who he is. Names were there to say, this is who I am at the core. This is who I am from the very beginning of my existence. And Yahweh picks, so God picks this very interesting name, Yahweh, which is from the verb to be, to be. And scholars best decipher this name Yahweh to mean this, I am who I am. I am who I am. Quite a confident name, isn't it? It's quite a confident name. I don't know if you ever go around and just go, hey, hi, I'm Jim, what's your name? I am who I am. It's a strange name. But what we'll see, it's three things that God wants us to know through his name. First thing is, it's distinct. It's distinct. The second thing is we'll see it is personal. And thirdly, it's consistent. But the first thing is, we see it's distinct. You see, up until this time, as I said, everyone referred to whatever God they worshipped as God. Whether you worshipped a God of an organized religion or just had a very L.A. kind of personal subjective spirituality, I define God as I want him or her or it to be. We all use the word God. And so if you say to someone, hey, do you believe in God? Most people in L.A. would probably say yes. But we have no idea what they mean by that. Because we use the word God like we use the word humans. It's a category name, it's a catch-all name. And so the first thing we see is something beautiful but challenging. The beauty of it is, is God is going, I want you to know who I am. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you just to think I'm mysterious. I don't want you just to think that I'm trying to be hidden from you. That you kind of sense this overarching spiritual force. You, oh, you sense there's something more than us. You have these questions of, we just can't have come from nothing. What, what, there must be something out there, and God is going, absolutely. The echo of the human heart is there is, and I don't want to be hidden from you. I want you to know. It's a beautiful gift of God that he is revelatory to us. He reveals himself to us. We are not guessing and trying to wonder who God is. He comes to us and reveals himself to us. It's beautiful, but it's also challenging because it means that we no longer get to define God how we want him to be. It's challenging because in the 21st century, we live in what is called the autonomous self. We want to define our own truth. We want to define our own reality. And yet there are some things that are Unchanging and objective, beyond our own subjectivity—something called gravity, for example. Right? There are objective truths out there. You go to the bank and go, "How much money is in my account?" You don't want the bank teller to say, "Well, may your truth may not be our truth." <laughs> you know, it's all pretty subjective. What is money? <laughs> no, there is objectivity. Right? and God puts himself out of what we want to put him in which is subjective and he says look I'm in the objective camp I'm not just a figment of your idealized self I am distinct and you're going to find me at times in agreement with you but you're going to find times I challenge you because I'm not you Most of us like to define God in our own image, uh, an idealized version of ourselves, because then we are in control of God and he basically approves everything we want him to approve. Tim Keller famously said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an an idealized version of yourself. It's a great blessing that God says, I'm gonna take myself out of subjectivity. I'm gonna place myself as an objective reality that then you have to be forced to wrestle with, what do I think of God? What do I think of Yahweh? He's distinct. We can't redefine him, we can't change him. He is, I am what I am. This is how we relate to others, right? a true relationship is embracing the other person for who they are. When we try and put on someone else who they are not, that's not a loving relationship. And a loving relationship with God always begins with going, I I have to accept you the way you are. I embrace you the way you are. I worship you the way you are. And I will humble myself. I will limit myself to going, I can't actually change you. This is the essence of a relationship with God. Not only is he distinct, that Yahweh says scandalously in that culture and maybe in some other cultures today that he's not just distinct, he's also personal. He gives himself a name. I am, personal pronouns, I am who I am. Again, something that would have rocked the world of the ancient Near East. And maybe even today, where many people view God as a thing, a force, an impersonal reality, a manifestation of the universe. But God in his revelation says, hey, I just want you to know, I'm a person. I'm not human. But as a God, I have personhood. I laugh, I grieve, I love. I care, I listen, I wanna be in relationship with you. In fact, that's his greatest desire, is as a person, he wants to be in relationship with you. We see this in Moses. Moses and him are having a conversation on top of Mount Sinai. As a friend, Moses says, that God is not distant, but he is a person, and that is why when, We see in Genesis 1 that we are made in his image. We are made in the image of a personhood, which is why what's one of the greatest gifts of humanity is relationship. It's why love is at the center of the universe because a person is at the center of the universe. In fact, we see later on, a community of love is at the center of the universe, which is why love is so supreme. And here's the kicker. God wants to be in relationship with you. Yahweh reveals himself as, I'm not distant, I'm not just on a throne somewhere, I'm certainly not just a force, an impersonal reality or consciousness. I am a person who is desperate to be in relationship with you. That we might hear his voice, that we may know his guidance, that we may experience his comfort and his presence. Like Moses, he wants to be face to face with you to build that relationship with you. We see in the New Testament that this relationship is defined as the deepest possible intimacy. Not king, slave, or servant. Not just friends. But in Jesus we see Yahweh says, look, I've come to adopt you as my children. Parent, child that we can throw up our arms in intimacy and cry, Abba, Father. This is the great revelation of Yahweh, that he's not distant, he's not consciousness alone. He is a person who longs to be with you. And I, I don't know about you, but I struggled with this for many years because I didn't have this view of God. I grew up in a church which I I honor for many things, but one of the things I struggled with and eventually was one of the reasons I, I kind of left the church for many years was because I was disappointed in God because God seemed and I thought God was like a formula rather than a friend. That God was this slot machine that if I put in the right things, pull the handle, I'd get the right outcome. That God was just mechanical. That if I showed up at church, did a devotional every day, tithed, served on the welcome team, that I was doing my part on one side of the equation and I had all sorts of expectations on the other side and therefore God will do this, this, and this, and this. My version of the good life. That I'd reduced God and Yahweh, not from I am who I am to a mathematical formula. Now, have you ever tried to treat your friends like a mathematical formula? (laughs) I may be a generous guy, but don't treat me like a formula. I may want to bless you, but don't treat me like a formula. And I worked out over the years that my disappointment with God, because in my view, he didn't come through for me based on what I had put into the other side of the equation, was more about my wrong view of God rather than God's performance. Particularly around finances. I grew up in a church that had adopted for many years what is commonly called the prosperity gospel. Do you know what that is? In other words, it was simply this, the more you give to God in financial terms, the more you get. Right, So pretty much, you don't love God anymore, you're loving yourself by giving to a great investment return pyramid scheme who will give you more, (laughs) right? You're giving to get, you're not giving out of love, you're giving out of love for yourself. And there's times I thought this is really confusing to me because at one point I thought I'm not getting what I thought, certain people seem to be getting a lot, but the rest of us don't. Maybe we should give more. Maybe you've been hurt by church in that kind of way. I believe God blesses. I believe God blesses those who serve and invest in what he's doing. It's just the warp of and woof of how we will follow Jesus. As you fall in line and as you worship him and get in line with his desires, you will flourish. But it's not a formula of put Five bucks in and next week you'll get 20. God's not like that. John Eldridge wrote this. He said, there are no formulas with God, period. So there are no formulas for the man who follows him. God is a person, not a doctrine. He operates not like a perfect system, but with all the originality of a truly perfect, free and alive person it's why it really helped me then because it's like oh my gosh god's a person who loves to bless who loves to give but he's a much bigger than that because he knows perfectly what i need at times it says in the hebrews he even disciplines those he he loves At times I'm gonna feel his intimacy like a friend, we're gonna be in this, oh man, sometimes I look at a friend of mine and go, "Man, what an amazing friend. And sometimes we just sit in TV together and there's no emotion, but we're just friends. We are friends with God, in a dynamic relationship with him, getting to know him, him getting to know our hearts and our desires. I struggled, but he's not a formula, he's a friend. And secondly, it's not ritual, but it's relationship. Again, I struggled for years going, you know what? I was so disappointed with God, I threw away relationship and went to ritual. I thought, what will really help me not be disappointed with God is if I have zero expectations of him, still honor him, so I'll worship him, I'll follow him, but it'll be kind of like My relationship with the president. I'll do what he says. I believe in him. I'll pay my taxes. This is interesting in America right now because maybe we don't do what the president says, but (laughs) maybe it's a wrong analogy of the last few years. But you know what I mean? This is distant relationship. I honor and believe and follow Uh, and sometimes believe in what you're doing, sometimes not, but I'm a citizen. Uh, But I'm not in a personal relationship. But over time, and part of that was actually because I was burnt by people who had a relationship with God saying things like, God told me. Have you ever had that and thought, hmm, hang on. That sounds more like your dysfunction. (laughs) Or your desires or maybe you're just deceived. I realized that I was confused how to have a relationship with God and hear his voice. And I just thought the better thing is is to get rid of that altogether and just be in a place where I'll do what he says and I'll follow him, obey him, but abandon all hope of a relationship. But that isn't in line with Yahweh. And eventually Yahweh, like he did with Moses, like he did with everyone in the Bible, he doesn't leave us in that place. He comes to restore us back into relationship. I remember going to a new church, I remember someone helping me to realize a relationship, a healthy relationship is possible. An intimate relationship is possible. But I did have to learn what that looked like because it wasn't human to human. It was human to Yahweh, both persons. I was going, but how can I hear God's voice? Like Michael here, when we go out for a beer, I can hear his voice, right? I can see him and we have a a relationship because of that. I don't get that with God, I don't see him, I don't hear an audible voice. What does it mean to have a relationship with him? How do I know it's not just me making things up? How do I not, it's just my guilt from the past. How do I know God is speaking to me? I felt the invitation again and again. I couldn't get over Yahweh, Yahweh, I am who I am. I'm here, I'm a person and I want a relationship with you. And friends began to help me understand what it means to have a relationship with God. How to confidently hear his voice how prayer stops being a letter that you're sending to the president. To Moses' conversation face to face. This is the great invitation of Yahweh. One of the friends who helped me the most through his writings, uh, and he's a good friend, is a guy called Pete Gregg. And he says this, the Bible says that you were created to enjoy a real conversational relationship with God. Hearing his voice is therefore the most natural thing in the world, but learning to hear God's voice, his word and his whisper is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do. Yahweh wants to know you, be in relationship with you, grow in intimacy with you. If you're thinking, well, how do I do that like I did? I don't have time for that today. But I know you love to read. So here's Pete Gregg's book, How to Hear God, a simple guide for normal people. I know you're special, not normal, but put yourself in that category of normal people. But you hear the invitation of Yahweh when he reveals himself to Moses is in the context of a conversation. He wants to know you. He wants to guide you. He wants to speak to you. This is Yahweh. And finally, Yahweh means consistent. I am who I am. In other words, I will never not be who I am. Whatever I am, you can bank on it. Whatever I am, I will never go up and down. Whatever I am, there's no mood swings. There's no, God had a bad day. There's no, I'm not too sure, maybe your parents were like this, or maybe some friends were like this, maybe your spouse is like this. Gosh, I don't know what they're gonna be like today. That's how we are. Well, I know kind of who I am on the inside and it's lots of great things. But I gotta say, sometimes I wake up and you might encounter me and I'm having a bad day. Which is why, by the way, I will let you down, right? You're gonna come across me one day in Trader Joe's, not my best self, right? I will let you down, I am not perfect, far from it. I would humbly suggest you're not perfect either. And actually that defines our relationship, right? And yet God is saying, I'm a person, but I'm not like you. I am who I am. When I say I'm compassionate, I'm always compassionate. When I say I'm gracious, I'm always gracious. When I say I'm abounding in love, I'm always abounding in love. When I say I'm faithful, I am always faithful. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. My word doesn't mean just one thing. I mean many things, but I want you to know that my name means whatever I am, I always am. You can trust me. You can depend on me. It's why in Proverbs 18, the the writer of the Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's the name of the Lord. It's I am who I am, because whatever I'm facing, I can run to the dependable one who's got me safe. Because he's always compassionate. No matter how much I'm hurting and maybe I've messed up and hurt myself. He's always gracious, no matter when I actually don't deserve anything, and it's my own stupid fault I'm in this mess. He's always faithful, even though gosh, here I am again, God, I keep tripping up. He's always powerful, means he's always there to help me, and has the power to go, I've got you, guys. It's never been about your weakness; it's been about my strength. He's always forgiving. It's like, oh my gosh. Can I I really run to him when I've messed up again? You see, I don't know about you, but when we face challenges, trials, we mess up, we're tempted, we give in, we face our addictions again, we're doing all this sort of stuff. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't run to God. I'm afraid of what he might say to me. I'm afraid of what he might feel about me. I go, oh gosh, he's gonna be disappointed. Oh, you're gonna go, dude, I'm forgiving, but there's, there's an end, right? He's gonna be like, no more. What, you did that again? What, you can't even do this? I think I run elsewhere to be soothed. I run elsewhere for compassion. I run elsewhere to be loved. I run elsewhere for people to kind of soothe me because I don't have a view of Yahweh that he's going, run to me. I'm always gonna be compassionate, I'm always gonna be forgiving, I'm always gonna be healing, I'm always gonna be restoring. I am who I am. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, run to me and I will keep you safe, which means I will lift you up and I will hold you in my strong name, a strong tower. This is Yahweh from the beginning to the end. He's the strong tower you can run to in every circumstance. There were years when I ran from God. I felt ashamed. I felt broken. I felt a disappointment. I just didn't know who Yahweh was. And I still remember the day I went back to church, stepped in, thought I'd burn up on arrival, sat at the back thinking I'm in kind of the seats where broken people come, not you guys. I love you guys, you're amazing. (laughs) I thought, you know what? And I thought, at best, at best, I may, I may scrape in, and I'm just gonna serve God anonymously and not expect anything, because deep down, God's gonna think I'm a failure. I still remember the day where Yahweh broke into my life. God, yeah, I'm always compassionate. God, yeah, I'm always forgiving. I'm always abounding in love. Run to me. When you mess up, run to me. When you feel weak, run to me. When you don't know how to overcome your enemies, run to me. I am your God. And we've got this together. The place where you see Yahweh at his most truest self is where we're gonna go now in communion. Maybe you could throw me, Tina, could you throw me a communion? Thank you. You See, back in Exodus 34, it's confusing what God says. He says, I'm gracious, loving, forgiving. He also says, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. Do you remember that? So, whoa, like, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you do both at the same time? How do you show love and grace and forgive us of all we've done but at the same time you will not let the guilt go unpunished? In other words, how can you be pure love and pure justice at the same time? This is the conundrum, the paradox hanging over all of history until the cross. Because on the cross we don't see a man. We see Yahweh. Yahweh coming in Jesus to put together justice and love. That he says, I'm not gonna let the guilt of this world go unpunished. I am a just God. I'm not gonna sweep evil under the table, but I love you so much. I don't want you. I wanna forgive you. I wanna be gracious to you. How do we do both? He goes, I will do the purest form of love who I am yesterday and today and forever, and I will die the death that you deserve. I will take the punishment, I will take the justice so you don't have to, I'm not gonna sweep it under the carpet but I'll take it so that you may know the abounding love and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. This is Yahweh, let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.